Time's not down, you're not coming in. Hey there, just a quick message ahead of this episode to say we hope you like the rebrand, which includes a new website, rawuk.com, that's the URL. On there you can listen to and watch all our previous content. You can get extra content. You can also buy our first ever Raw merchandise and even sign up to become a Raw member, which will keep us going and keep you at the heart of this exciting journey, earning perks in return. We need your support, so please do check us out at rawuk.com and remember to like, comment and subscribe to everything we do on all our channels. And of course, make sure you tell all your pals. But most of all, enjoy this latest episode. Cheers. Hello and welcome to another edition of Raw the 90s Rave podcast with me, your host Tom Latcham. And it's a great episode today, I've got to say, because if you've ever dreamed of being a big name rave artist because you work in a normal job and you love rave music, Oh, for God's sake, I've read it wrong again. I'm literally, I've just set myself up, Kenny, and said I'm great. And then I'm just fucking it all up. Right, I'm going to do this again. It's my apologies. Again, we'll, we will get there. We will get there. Don't worry. Your name's not down. You're not coming in. Hello and welcome to another edition of Raw the 90s Ray podcast with me, your host, Tom Latcham. Now, if you've ever dreamed... <laughs> Read the fucking script, man. Read the script. You see what I've done here, Ken. Uh, yeah, I've, right. I've, I've, I've made myself. I've made a rod for my own back, and I am actually so better than this. Am I supposed to be able to see myself on there? Uh, no, you will be soon. Hold on. All right. Okay. Cool. Hold on. Right. Your name's not Dan. You're not coming in. Hello and welcome to Raw. My name's Tom Latcham. This is another edition of the 90s Rave podcast and we've got a fantastic guest today. If you've ever worked in a normal job and you love rave music, you've probably dreamed of becoming a big name rave artist. Well, today's guest did exactly that. As a London underground worker, he fell in love with the rave scene by chance while on a night out with friends before going on to forge a career as a world-renowned jungle and drum and bass DJ producer and record label owner. He's played at the most legendary raves from Labyrinth to Fabric and everything in between, both on these shores and beyond. He was the first DJ ever to play Jungle on Radio 1, and he was also the host of several pirates uh, and internet streaming shows. He's so good, like MCMC, they named him twice. He is, of course, Kenny Ken, a.k.a. Ken Delsol, and he joins us now. Hello, mate, how you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> all right. Very good indeed. Uh, how you been keeping? It's been a tough time. You okay? Yeah, it's been a tough year, but, you know, I'm just rolling it through, you know? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, I mean, this is this is a huge test for, for so many of you guys. Our hearts go out to you all. It must be an incredibly difficult time. And I guess if you can get through it, you can pretty much get through anything. And let's see if we can get through the next yeah. uh, the next time, uh, a few few hour or so doing this interview, <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, Ken... Uh, we absolutely love your journey. It's fantastic. It's an inspiration to so many people who dream of changing careers. How exciting a period was it for you going within the space of a very, very short space of time, just a few years, from a never really been to a rave tube worker yeah. to a revered rave artist? Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was um, well, put it this way, the first time I ever went to a rave, I just fell in love with the music straight away, the house music, you know what I mean, and the rave music. I fell, I fell in love with that straight away. But I think it was after about my when I was going to the big raves like Sunrise and Energy and all them. That's when I decided that I wanted to be a DJ. You know what I mean? 
So I started to collect the music and, you know, started to go down black market records and get all my music and all that, you know. And by the time I actually started DJing, I had, I had a nice little selection, you know what I mean? So, and it just went from there, you know. So what was it about the early 90s rave scene that allowed someone like you to do that? Because actually nowadays it's, you know, it's incredibly hard to become a rave artist because think, there's so much competition. I think, I think it was just, the scene was brand new. That helped. And I got into it almost from the beginning. Like I started raving in 1988, the beginning of late 87, 88. And, um, you know, and it was still fresh then. Well, it was really fresh because I think it scene only started in 87. You know what I mean? I mean, some of the house tunes I've got go back as far as 86. You know what I mean? So, you know, the scene over for me, I mean, it's before I actually went to a rave, a lot of my friends always used to say to me, um, oh, Ken, you got to come and take, you got to come and check out one of these acid, acid ass parties, man. And, but the, the word acid put me off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, like, <clears throat> you know, just the word acid just put me off of it. You know what I mean? But because, one, of, because of the drug connotation? Yeah, but it, acid frightens me. Acid, you hear all kinds of funny, funny, um, and I thought it was to do with the drugs as well, you know? I mean, I thought it was to do with acid. I never even heard about ecstasy, right. you know what I mean? I just thought acid, you know what I mean? And so the word acid kind of put me off, right? And then and then um, uh, another time one of my friends said, oh, Ken, you got to try one of these ecstasy tablets out, man. Oh, you got to do one of these pills, man. They're this, they're that, rare, 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 and all that. So one night, because um, I used to go like hip hop clubs and R&B soul clubs, you know what I mean? And reggae. Reggae was my predominant, what I liked back then, you know what I mean? And um, we went out to a club in South End, and on the way there, my mate said to me, look, I just got three of these pills, all right? And there's three of us in the car, me, Anthony, my mate Anthony and my mate Tony. So I said, should we take one? And I was like a bit dubious at first. Then I thought, child, one ain't gonna do me nothing anyway. So, you know what I mean? There's only one <laughs> pill, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Because I never took pills, you know what I mean? So I thought, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, one pill, all right. And I remember my mate used to work for NCP car parks, right? Um, Anthony, and uh, he, um, we went down there in his in his van, the NCP car park van, and we all popped our pill. It was at Hackney Down Station. I'll never forget this. It was at Hackney Down Station, going under the bridge, going towards Leebridge Road to go towards South End, and um, we took our pills. And by the time we got to South End. Right, mate, we was on some next level. Right, the security at the club I don't know, I don't know what we was doing to make them like us, but they didn't even let us queue up. They just said, You three in now, they let us in, didn't have to pay. Right, because we was like, host. We was really buzzing outside, you know what I mean? And they say, Let us in, and then we lit that club up. That club was like, That's the best night I've ever had in that club. And even the promoter that night, never met him before, but we met him that night though. And he was bigging us up. Yeah, you guys come down, use a lot of this, use a lot of that. We was proper partying hard, you know what I mean? So anyway, when we come out of the club now, I said to Anthony, let's go and find one of them acid ass parties, man. What I've been hearing so much about. So we knew where there was one in, uh, what was it called again? Uh, Back Church Lane, right, in Whitechapel. And uh, all I remember, I can't remember too much about it, but all I remember was going through some corrugated iron, walking across some um, a dump, like a dump kind of land, 
and then going into this building. And when I walked into this building, the music and everything, I thought, and people were coming up to you and saying hello and all that. I never had that before, you know what I mean? And people coming up to you and saying hello, or people just dancing with you, you don't even know, you know what I mean? And that, that freaked me out, you know what I mean? So eventually when we went home, next week I said, listen, we got to find one of them parties, man. <laughs> Forget about sad things, we got to find one of these parties, you know what I mean? And then that's how it started from there, you know? And so how do you go from sweaty, gurning, raver in first acid house party to i mean you were eventually your headline well, what i done what I, I i mean i started raving regularly obviously after that you know what i mean so I, I made sure i went to all the big raves like sunrise energy biology um oh, there's loads of them you know what i mean but i went to all the main ones you know what i mean always had my ticket or i'd get in on the guest list because eventually i started to i made it my business to get to know the people who are doing these dances Right. Why, why did you do that? Because you were at the time you were a tube worker, right? Yeah, so, I was working, so, on, I was, I was working so, on underground. Yeah. But what it was, because I was working on underground, so some, like especially on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning, I'd have to carry my uniform in the back of whoever's car I was in, and then from raving, go to work. Yeah, I know like, that. Half of my trolley, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, but then one day, what done it for me? One day I was at Oxford Circus Station, and uh, I went to work and I was, back then, they never had like mach machines. They had just um, like a box and you just come past and you just show your ticket or your bus pass or your pass or whatever. And we, I used to collect the tickets in the box as they was coming off the train. And one day I must have fell asleep in the box, right? And these two old ladies, bless them, they must have been about 80 years old, right? They knocked on the glass and they said to me, son, you better wake up. You're going to lose your job. And that, that point there made me realize, you know what? Because I'd already started collecting records, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought, you know what? I need to start, I need to get some, start doing, being a D, I want to be a DJ, you know what I mean? I want to be like Groove Rider and I want to be like Carl Cox and I want to be like Bones, DJ Bones and Frankie Valentine, because them was my DJs back then, you know what I mean? And I thought, I want to be like these guys, man, you know what I mean? So that's when I started to practice more. And then I started to make it my business to know the promoters, even though I hadn't got no work yet. You know what I mean? But I made it my business to know the promoters, get in with the promoters, and it just started from there. Well, we'll 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 we'll, we'll tackle all that later about how you journeyed through the rave scene. But was <clears throat> how different is it now? You know, how does the so the current rave scene um, is much greater and bigger than it was then in terms of its commercial uh, commerciality. You've got the internet, so you're able to to find out a lot more about a lot more, you know, about events and music and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Do you think the current rave scene allows that kind of success that you had, where you went, you know what, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to network the hell out of this and get to know the promoters, practice hard, and get up there. And you and you 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 were, as we said, the huge success story of that. Do you think the current think rave scene allows that? Um. It's a bit more difficult nowadays because the equipment out there now has made it so easy to be able to mix. I mean, when I say it's a bit more difficult, the equipment out there now has made it so easy to mix nowadays that there's so many people that want to DJ now because it's easier to mix music. So, therefore, it's harder to get in because now instead of two or three people trying to get into one job. There's 300 people trying to get into one job. 
You know what I mean? So it's a bit difficult that way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it is. And as a former London Underground worker and now a jungle DJ, mm. could you be any more London? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and how proud do you feel the, the idea that thinking about the role London and you played in shaping that original, what, what we now know as drum and bass, but at the time yeah. was jungle, uh, that original, you know, you, you and and London were, you could argue, the where the where the sound really really originated and took hold. Well, there was places up in up north where it originated from as well. You know what I mean, like Manchester and you know, like yeah, the Hacienda Club and all that. You know what I mean. And there was there was little pockets of it all over the country, really. But for me, because I come from London, I'm going to say London. You know what I mean? Because like, but, but London is jungle. Is you know, if you say jungle, you do associate it. With oh yeah, music. if you say, but even jungle though, even jungle, even jungle music. Yeah, you know, you could say it come from London, but then you've got people like Dot Scott, Simon Baseline Smith, you know what I mean? And all them guys who are, who are around when, when I was coming through and they come from up north and they're making jungle and, and whatever you want to call it then as well, you know what I mean? So it was predominantly a that London thing, yeah. But and how do you feel, how do you how do you feel about that as a, as a as I say you you are pretty I much proud. you couldn't be really, more London. <laughs> no, I feel proud. I feel proud to be I feel really proud to be part of something that started in this country. You know what I mean? You know, in London, you know what I mean? I feel something that, you know, we're part of something that started, like you've had punk, right? Punk music that came and it kind of went, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? And then if you go on a bit later, you had things like dubstep that came and went, right? But jungle music has stood the test of time and it's just getting stronger today than it ever was. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I'm proud to be a part of that. You, you know, I'm be. really, really, really proud to be a part of that, you know? You, you absolutely should be, Ken. Listen, we're going to uh, talk a bit more about uh, how you got into the rave scene and how you developed it and how you became such a legend very shortly here on Raw. It's about a pressure. It's about a roar. So we're here with uh, Kenny Ken, the jungle legend, mix and blend legend as well. Uh, and here on uh, Raw, Kenny, um, in the spirit of rave, we like to uh, give our viewers a, a bit of a rewind and go back to uh, to the old days uh, at yep. the very beginning. You were born in London right at the start of the swing in 60s. What was that yep. like? Uh, I don't remember too much about the younger days, but yeah, London back then when I was growing up, there was there was a lot more racism there was um i mean there wasn't so much like remember i've seen things like council tax get invented i've seen a whole heap of things come into that we wasn't didn't have to pay back in the day you know what i mean so you know growing up in the 60s was i think was was easier than growing up now because now it's, it's a bit dangerous now isn't there's gangs everywhere people getting shot and stabbed and all that you know what i mean so back then it wasn't i mean most of my friends were white guys when i was younger you know, and you know, if we had a, if we had to have a fight with anybody, it'd be with our fists. You know what I mean? It was never yeah. really a knife thing or or guns or anything like that. You know what I mean? So, but it's just changed now. So I suppose it's a bit dangerous now. And what about the decade musically? Did anything about that decade musically inspire you? Or yeah, my mum and dad's reggae. Right. My mum and dad's reggae. I used to love playing their music, and I had a good little selection myself as well. Because like, I mean, I started to. I used to go to the record shop. Started going to the record shop when I was about 13, 14 to get me little seven inch discs, you know what I mean? And mm. started my own little selection. What, what was your first tune? Do you remember? Uh, well, one of them. It doesn't have to be the very first, but among the first. What do you remember? 
um, uh, what was it called again? Damn, me and my brother, I remember me and my brother arguing over the tune as well. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It doesn't matter. It's not the end of the world. Oh, I can't remember the you name of it, man. You want to sing it, Kenny? No, nah, definitely ain't singing it. <laughs> you sing it, I'll tap it. Um, okay, it's fine, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and, and, you know, you ended up, as we've said, working in quite a steady job. Was the importance of a steady and reliable work always instilled in you by your parents? Nah, because... Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> nah, nah, because I was my own, you know, you know, I, I'll... How can I say it? I suppose I was easily led, but then again, it's your own, it's your own, you do your own shit, you know what I mean? So, but, you know, from a young age, from about the age of, well, when I moved to Holly Street in Dalston at the age of 11, right, 1970, 70 something, and, mate, I just met the wrong crowd. Right. And that's, and then things just went downhill from there, you know what I mean? You know, like so, I, I had a good education and everything. Right. And I, I was, they tried to get me into um, Central Foundation Boys School, which was, which was one of the best schools in the area. But um, I got myself in a little bit of trouble and uh, they didn't, Central Foundation didn't accept me. And I ended up, they tried to send me to Edith Caval, which was the worst school in my area. So my mum refused to send me to school and then I got into Upton House School in the end. But then you know, I just went. I went kind of the wrong way. What? what tell us what. What, what sort of you stuff? Know, like you, just hanging you around like... with, hang, hanging around with the wrong crowd. You know, having getting in trouble with the police and. What sort of stuff you know, would you be doing? Breaking into sweet shops. Um, right. You really you love know. those sweets. <laughs> for the fags. <laughs> oh, right, um, okay. That's a, that, 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 that's a better explanation. Fags. Yeah, for the fags. Okay. Right. Um, you know, just doing, you know, driving Nick Motors, you know, just okay. stupid stuff. You know what I mean? Nothing really that I could say to you. Um, yeah, I earned a lot low of money. level, low level sort of criminal. Yeah, low level. Like, yeah, low level. Shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and 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 so therefore, a lot of people will enter that world, and then they will. That's their world. Um, yeah. for you, for you, that didn't end up the case no. why because after after like i can remember when highbury corner magistrates court got built and i was the first person there to get a custodial sentence and um is that right yeah well first i mean that's it's, it's a dubious it's an honor but it's a dubious honor <laughs> yeah it's a dubious honor yeah <laughs> i remember when it first opened and i got i remember i got three months detention center at send detention center for what and obviously for for breaking into shops and then okay. from from there no you go to send detention center you're meeting the worst of the worst you know what i mean so obviously i've come out of there a bit more clued up about crime than I, before i went in you know what i mean so then yeah. things just got worse you know what i mean and right okay to cut a long story short i was in and out of her majesty's establishments all the way up to the age of 26. You know what I mean? And then the last time I went in, I decided that I'm not going back again. Why? Because every time I came out, I never had no money. I wasn't successful as a criminal. Never had no money. Every time I came out, my mum, bless her, she made sure that, you know, 
that I had clean clothes and new clothes and everything. My mum, you know, I love my mum to death. You know what I mean? She always, no matter what I got myself into, she's always there for me, you know? So at the age of 26, I realised that, boy, the next thing you're going to end up getting about 10, 15 years for something and you ain't got nothing to show for it. You know what I mean? So I thought, you know what? I've done two years. I've done My last sentence was three years. I've done two out of it. And I've done that at Camp Hill in the Isle of Wight. And I just said, you know what? I'm not going back again. Because one, them, pris them prisoners what I met at Camp Hill, I'm not like them. These are proper like gangster criminals, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not that, you know what I mean? I'm not, like when we sit down and talk in the yard, they're talking about guns and shit. And like, I'm thinking, that's not me, you know how what I mean? You, how did you find prison, apart from obviously those psychopaths? I found it pretty easy, to be honest with you. Right. Because all those, although I say they wasn't, you know, I wasn't like them, I mean, the fighting part of it, defending myself part of it, I was good at. Right. You know what I mean? So I didn't have to worry on that score. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. just hearing some of the things they're talking about, I just knew that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But the reason why I used to get on with all these people is because I could hold my hands up. You know what I mean? And these people, they respected that. You know what I mean? Even though I wasn't like them. You know what I mean? So one of them, he, um, a guy called, I think his name was Peter. He said to me, Ken, look, I've got a, one of my mates owns a big cleaning firm called uh, Pritchard's Cleaning, right? He said, when you come out, we'll get you a job. So I said, all right then. So I came out and this is how, this is how the London Transport thing come along. So I came out of prison there. I phoned up Peter. He got me the job, like he promised. And I ended up working with him. And we had three, three, um, three trains, underground stations to clean every day, Amersham, Amersham, Chalfont and Latimer, and another one, I can't remember the other one. Sometimes we used to do other stations as well, but they was my main lot at the end of the Metropolitan Line. And um, so at, at Amersham Station, I got, I got on really well with the station manager, mm -hmm. right? And he said to me, he called me, when I was cleaning out his office one day, he said to me, Ken, you need to come off of this and come on the, come on the underground. What are you cleaning up for? Come on the underground. So I said, they ain't, ain't going to let me on the underground with my form, you know what I mean? He went, trust me, you'll get on there. So I went and uh, filled in the application form. He got me the application form as a guy. I'd done the interview down at Baker Street. Um, they, then I went down there for an exam, passed the exam with flying colours, and that's how I started on the underground. It was around me. It must have been a fascinating... I mean, you, you see some right interesting things on the underground, don't you? I mean, yeah. you must have seen some sights. Oh, yeah, sight. trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they loved me on the underground because, you know, like, I'd, like I used to get on the mic at Holborn Station. <laughs> I'd get on the mic, right? And, you know, when you say, mind the doors, because the station's on a kind of curve, so you'd have to get on the mic. Say, mind the doors, you know what I mean? And help the guard out because you can't see the whole train, you know what I mean? And um, I'd say, mind the doors, and I'd come out with something like, get in, otherwise you're going to be late for work, and all just funny yeah, things, yeah. you know what I mean? And well, so you're the, th there, there are still those people at, um, in the sort of main ones in the centre who, who who do a bit of that, and it really brightens up people's day. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. People all, all love it. I used to make it a bit extra. I just want, me and my girlfriend, this isn't part of the interview, by the way, like I've got, yeah. this isn't a pre-prepared question, but me and my girlfriend were talking about this the other day, and we wondered whether, like, there's like a sort of hierarchy of um, of tube MCs who like, you know, 
if you get to sort of Tottenham Court Road or Oxford Circus, you're like the daddy of the of the of the of the underground MCs, and you know you start off somewhere like Chalfont St Peter's or, or whatever yeah. it is in Amersham, yeah. and you work yeah. your way up. If you're any good, you know you get to go to you get to go to the centre. Is there anything in that, or or is that just all made up nah, in our head? Nah. No, no, no. <laughs> but they are good but they no. are brilliant yeah some of them are really good though. yeah some i mean i i was good to a sense that i used to make everyone laugh yeah yeah you know what i mean but there was others that were really good they'd sing a little song like a little 20 second song or something but you know they was really good they, that was their game you know what i mean like yeah. me i never they most probably used to practice at home and then yeah. come to the station and but me, I just used to do it off the top all, of my we've head. All, we've all done it. We've all, we've all yeah. practiced stuff at home. Um, yeah. and, but, but you were, at that time, this was when you were into sort of sound systems and, and, and that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Sound yeah. A lot of our um, listeners won't necessarily... So even me, right? I I watched some sound system YouTube videos the other day, and I was like, "This is wicked, man!" I'd never, I didn't know about this world, and a lot of our listeners won't. So, can you paint a picture of what your involvement was on some of these sound systems? Well, my my involvement on sound system was wasn't as an actual sound man. I was more of a raver. Right. But my number one sounds were I two. It was Unity, Unity and Saxon. They were my two sounds what I love to go and listen to, you know what I mean? And like that's where like, you know, the dub plate thing came into jungle or came into hardcore. You know what I mean? The dub plate thing, the rewind thing come mm -hmm. from sound system. You know what I mean? And you know, so a lot of that has been brought into the jungle scene, you know. So I wasn't really involved in a sound system, but right. I used to go, like I used to go to um, a Cubies. There was a club called Cubies in Dalston. I used to go there every week, you know what I mean? And listen to the different sounds and go Unity, go Saxon, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you, in your mid twenties, the rave scene started to come in, as we've said, you were yeah. sort of working at London Underground at that point. And mm -hmm. um, uh, what were who were the sort of DJs that really stood out for you? We know what you've said the sort of raves that you went to, but who were the DJs that really stood out, or was it less about that at that point? No, obviously, you wanted the, the best DJs, you know what I mean? You know, you wanted to hear the best DJs, and the ones that stick to mind the most is Groove Rider, Kyle Cox, and Bones, DJ Bones. They was the ones for me who, I mean, don't get me wrong. There was loads of other good ones as well, but mm -hmm. they were my favourites back then. What was it about mean? those guys that really stood well, Groove Rider, <clears throat> Groove Rider always had this aura and just the tunes he used to play, the way he used to play his music. You know what I mean? The way he used to play the house music. And um, Groove Rider was the kind of DJ that, that would play stuff that you haven't heard before. He was more on that tip, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it was good stuff though. You know what I mean? And the thing I love about Groove as well is that when I actually started DJing, I remember one day when he was at um, Astoria and he played this tune called uh, Fall Into a Trance. I'll never forget the name. It's on Echo Records, Echo USA Records. And he played the tune and I said to him, usually DJs don't tell you what the tune is, you know what I mean? But I said to him, Groove, what's that tune? And he just gave me the tune and put it in my hand and let me look at it. I could actually see what the tune was. You know what I mean? And I thought I really, from there, I had a different respect for him because like DJs didn't do that. You know what I mean? He just gave me the tune and said, yeah. And I looked at the tune and then the next thing, I went down to see Stafford at Black Market, said Stafford, get me this tune. And he got it for me, you know what I mean? Mm. And, you know, and then Carl Cox, obviously the way he mixed. Yes, he had that boom, boom sound, you know what I mean? Boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. You know, he had that, he had that kind of, he had a different sound to him to groove, you know what I mean? 
at this point, we you were DJing, sort of bedroom DJing, right? Yeah, and yeah. And records. Yeah, yeah. So obviously into DJing and into styles of DJing and yeah. you know different tunes. Yeah. Um, were you going to raves? I know you were off your pickle because you've just told us that a bit earlier. But were you going to raves and going, like, even though you're off your pickle, uh, sort of listening to different styles? Because yeah, I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I was clocking all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think I, that, I think that's probably evidenced in your style. Like you know, yeah, so, uh, we've had people get in touch saying the beauty about Kenny Ken is he always finds something new in a tune in two tunes to mix, and it's yeah. a remarkable skill. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, um, it was a. Uh... You know, obviously, everyone's got a different style, the way they play, you know what I mean? And, like, you know, for me, Groove, I used to love Groove because of the music he used to play. I still love Groove to this day, you know what I mean? And then Carl Cox, the the way he used to mix the free decks thing, you know what I mean? And then Bones, he was just a smooth operator, you know what I mean? You know, one time I saw Groove Rider and Fabio do a... Uh, Groove Rider and uh, Bones do a back-to-back, and it just blew my head away, man, you know what I mean? It just it was just them things you never you know people say that we only say that back then was the best because that that's when it started for us but in you'll never get that again no you will never ever get that again even though the kids even the kids just starting raving now today ain't gonna experience what we experience just like you know back in the 60s you had things like woodstock and that and that was electric for, for people you know what i mean but we're never gonna experience that no. Because you had to be there to experience that, you know what I mean? But you were able to use those skills that you'd picked up as a raver. As I yeah. understand it, the first big crowd you DJed for was at Genesis. Is, is, Genesis, is that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you actually, is is this right? You filled in for Lenny D, who yeah, now the, showed. The, the black um, Lenny D. Yes, uh, right, okay. So how did you manage to blag your way on at that point? Did well, you, because did, I knew did you Wayne. Take your, did you used to take your records? No, no, no. I knew Wayne, right? One of the promoters, yeah. right? And me and Wayne became quite, not close, but we became, we was respectful to each other all the time, you know what I mean? And you, we come from the same hood and everything. So, you know, we was respectful to each other. And like, I never had to pay when I went to Genesis. I was always in on the guest list or whatever. I'd, I'd just get in, they'd just let me in, you know what I mean? And then one day I was standing by the decks and Wayne, I see Wayne with a worried look on his face. I said to him, Wayne, what's the matter? He said, man, it's 15 minutes to go and Lenny D ain't turned up yet. So I said, You're, like, yeah. You're like, yes. Yeah, I said, Wayne, I can play, you know. Trust me, I can play. Let me go and get my records. I only live down the road, around the corner. You know what I mean? Because I only lived about five minutes up, straight down Richmond Road. Boom. And I was at home. You know what I mean? So I said to him, Wayne, trust me, let me go and get my records. So I said, go on then. So I jumped in my friend's car. My friend drove me home. Got my, and it wasn't even a record box. It was a crate. A blue yeah, crate. Yeah. Had, right? We, how, how are you feeling at this point? You're like, I'm going to play. I'm going to play. I was really excited, but I tell Nervous? you what, though, no, not until I actually come to put my first record on the on the deck. That's when I, my bottle went a little bit because <laughs> when I stood, when I got up on the decks, and I thought that boom, the, the everything underneath me. Because remember, I'm mixing at home. I'm not used to playing on these big rigs. Course, you know what I mean? Course, like, yeah. big, I don't know how much K it was, but it was a whole heap of K. You know what I mean? And when I got stood on there. And I felt the, the weight and everything of the tune music getting played. I thought, shit. But anyway, I went on. I was nervous, I'm not gonna lie, I was nervous. But I played about, for about 15, 20 minutes. And that 15, 20 minutes, I played good, right? I played really good. Didn't clang the mix or nothing, just took my time and just rolled it out, you know what I mean? And 
that's uh, that's my first take. And then Lenny Lenny D turned up, and obviously I had to let him on. You know what I mean? But it was an experience for me, though. Yeah, yeah. Because now I'm telling people. Now I'm telling people that listen, playing at home and playing on that is two different things. You might be a master at home, but you get on that that right. thing there, and it's a whole different ball game. You know what I mean? Um, and what was the reaction to the crowd to your brief? Crab was good. Yeah, yeah. crab was good because they people was what the way is that Kenny up there? What what you know what I mean? Kind of thing. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was good. It was really good. Excellent. You know I mean? When we've interviewed Mark Archer in the past and Stu Allen, and by the way, if you're watching this and you haven't seen either of those episodes, they're really good. So go and check them out. Um, they sort of both said that they were right place, right time. Uh, do you feel the same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do because I mean I remember on my birthday in I think it was. 89, you know, my birthday, 1989, I was at biology rave. And, uh, right, but now I'm carrying my records everywhere I go now, just in case, you know <laughs> what I mean, right? So now my record's in the back of the car now, right? So it's my birthday, I'm talking to Groove Rider, and um, he said to me, I told him it was my birthday and that, and I told him I got my records, and he said, go and get them. Because by that time, the main lineup, the main part of the party had finished now, and we was in the early morning, sun was coming up and everything, right? So this was about half eight in the morning now. And he said to me, go and get your records. So I went and got my records and I was doing a little back to back with Groove Rider on the decks and then the police come and stopped it. But that was a little experience for me. It wasn't for long, but that was a kind of experience for me as well. You know what I mean? I really enjoyed that as well. And I was grateful to him because he didn't have to do, let me do that. You know what I mean? What, what, but he must have rated you. Well, he hadn't heard me before, I don't think. You know what I mean? But because I was, I wasn't a waffler though. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have just took hand. I would just, if I couldn't do it, I would have said to Groove, you know, I ain't ready for that. You know what I mean? Or something like that because I was taking it seriously. You know what I mean? So is that, is that the sort of guy that Groove Rider is that he, um, he will give people opportunities? Yeah, well, he gave me that opportunity to play on there. You know what I mean? So, you know, and he's, you know, he's up to a lot of people over the years. You know what I mean? You know, whether it's DJs or producers, you know what I mean? But he gave me that opportunity. That's why I've got a lot of respect for him. Even though I don't talk to him a lot nowadays, but I've got that respect for him still, you know what I mean? We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. 
please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoyed the rest of the app. So we're here with uh, Kenny Ken still, who is uh, one of the jungle originators. Uh, fascinating story he's got. We've talked about how he got into being a DJ, but let's talk about how he progressed it and sort of became, as we've just said, one of the kings of the jungle. Uh, Kenny, your first regular gigs were at Labyrinth in Dalston. Um, how did you manage to get yourself with the foot in the door uh, at Labyrinth there? Um, well, Sue and Joe, who used to run Labyrinth back then, I was good friends with them. And I can't remember how we met. I think we might have met, no, I think we might have met at one of the bigger raves, you know what I mean? And I stayed in contact with them. And then Joe started doing Labyrinth and he invited me down to play. And then I ended up getting a residency because I was always playing good sets every week, you know? So, you know, every set I played is like when I came on, it was just a vibe. Like, oh, Kenny Ken's on the decks now, you know what I mean? And it was just a vibe, you know what I mean? And like, from there, they gave me, they was one, them and Crazy Club. Yeah. They gave me my first proper residencies, you know what I mean? And Well, look, I, mean, I mean, so we've had a residency at a place like Labyrinth. I, I mean, uh, the Crazy Club was was is less renowned uh, in history uh, for, for what it did for the rave scene. But, you know, looking back 32 years on from when you started, even from a you know pu purely historical standpoint, what a privilege to have been given your first shot as a DJ at a place that played such a important role in that emerging rave scene. Yeah, Labyrinth, Labyrinth was Labyrinth was gonna, Labyrinth was good to me. You know what I mean? Labyrinth was really good to me, and like you know, I love Sue and Joe for that. You know what I mean? They was like, you know, you know, even when I see Joe nowadays, he shows me so much love. You know what I mean? It's like we saw. It's like we haven't seen. Like I haven't seen Joe for a while now, for a good few months. But if he phoned me up now, it'd be like we spoke yesterday. Well, what, was it, what was it about Labyrinth that made it become such a legendary and important venue in the development of the Raves? I, you know, I imagine it was probably Joe was a major part of it. But what, but what specifically that Joe did that made it that? I think because it was a long-running establishment, week in, week out. You know what I mean? That That's number one. And number two, they embraced the new music. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, they. I was never told what to play. You know what I mean? I went there. So, so how then, you started as a house DJ. Was that upstairs, uh, a labyrinth, and then you sort of came down into the hardcore room? What took you from playing house music to playing hardcore? Um, Just the change. That's how the music changed. You know what I mean? The music went from, like, when I first started DJing, I was playing, I was playing like, Acid House, House, a little bit of German, te uh, not Belgian techno, you know, European techno, you know what I mean? And, all them three styles was merged into one, you know what I mean? And that's what the DJs at them times used to play, that style, you know what I mean? And then the and then the break beats start like Mickey Finn made a tune called um oh, what was it called? Mickey Finn made a tune called a biting back or something. And that had a break beat in it. And there was another tune called Blood Bloodlines, I think it's called, on Nervous Records, I think it's called Bloodlines, that, you know, it was a slow breakbeat, but we used to speed up and play it at 45 and it used to go down wicked, you know what I mean? <laughs> then you had Rebel NC coming in with his, his stuff, you know what I mean? And like, um, who else? Then you had, uh, there was labels like, um, Living Dream that you, that started to bring make the fall to the floor, but with a with a 
like a hip hop beat speeded up running through it as well. You know what I mean? And we called that jungle techno. And the hardcore part of it, I wasn't really, I wasn't really into the happy hardcore part of it. The hardcore. Some tunes I like. Don't get me wrong, because I used to play. You played a few, yeah. You played a few. Yeah, but I wouldn't play like the happy side of it. You know what I mean? Like now, it's it's like hundred miles an hour now. You know what I mean? Like, but back then, it was more respectable speed. You know what I mean? Like one fifty or one fifty five. You know what I mean? Or even one forty five. You know what I mean? So them kind of speeds there, I was playing hardcore. You know what I mean? And then I and then from there, the breakbeat started to creep into the music, creeping, 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 and it was creeping until one day. The fall to the floor just disappeared, and it was just a breakbeat. You know what I mean? And then jungle was invented. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a bit. But by deciding to go for it and breaking into that, you know, that sort of club of big names in the early nineties, it must have really felt like you'd you'd earned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel I feel that I've done I've done my homework. I've, I've done my um my uh you know in, introducing myself to people who. Who most of them got to like me, you know, and most of them helped me, you know what I mean, get to where I am, you know. So, you know, yeah, I'm proud of what I've done, yeah, considering my background, you know. Well, certainly, absolutely. Uh, would do you view music as your savior in a way that, say, for yes, Brian, Brian G said the yes, same thing? Yes, and a lot of other yes. people. There's loads of us. Me, Brian, Jumping Jack Frost, Mickey Finn. There's loads of us, man. You know what I mean? We come from certain ways, and you know, now we, you know, it's, it saved us. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. What do you think your life would have been without music? I'd, I'd either be dead or be rich from criminal activities. I thought you said or, you weren't very good, Ken. No, well, it could, you don't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> you could have improved. <laughs> yeah, I could have improved, yeah. Or be doing a long stretch now. Right. Like doing a long, long stretch for some, you know, arm robbery or something, you know what I mean? Could have led to that, I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But music came in at the right time when I decided I wasn't going back to prison again. Right. And music came in and the, as I thought that, the acid house scene was just starting. Mm. So, you know, it just fell in, came at the right time for me, you know what I mean? Does anything else, do you think, have that same power and ability to move people away from negativity into positivity, the music? Um. Yeah, if I mean anything can really. If you know you're gonna, if you're if you're a criminal, if you're into crime, and then you know that this next thing, like you could be a good footballer, and you know if you keep your head down, you're gonna earn, be earning grands every week. Then that's gonna stop you from. Hopefully, that will stop you from doing the bad stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I guess. You know, so anything really. Okay. But music for me, music is powerful. Period, because music has opened barriers for me. Like I'll, give you, I'll tell you a little story, quick two minute story, all right? Yeah, please do. One minute, we one time we went to Ireland, me and GQ, right? And we played in Ireland, and um, we, we had a good time and everything. The geezer loaded us up with whatever we wanted. Then we came back to England. Then I think it was a few months later they they booked us again, and we went back there again, and we tried to find that same guy, right? And without mentioning any names, we found out that he had been killed by the IRA for selling ecstasy because the, the IRA didn't like the way the ecstasy was bringing the two factions together. You know wow. what I mean? Wow. And that's the same thing it done in the UK as well. 
it was bringing people together who wouldn't normally mix. Like I was meeting people from all walks of life. I met solicitors, doctors, police. I met a whole heap of different people at raves. You know what I mean? I'm standing there smoking a spliff with a copper. <laughs> I swear to God. You know what I mean? And like, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, these things bringing people together. And certain people never like that. Powerful people never like that. You know what I mean? That's why, that's why you had to... You you mean know, the that yeah, that's that, that's why they clamped down on on um on the rave scene. Hmm. Started shutting certain clubs and started you can't do warehouse parties no more and all that. You know what I mean? You know, so but it never worked because now people are all all kinds of people going to parties. Yeah. Do you see any you know parallels? I mean? Do you see, I asked Mark Archer this very same thing because he came through very much mm. like you around that same period. Do you see any parallels? Uh, it's it's clearly not the same, but do you see any parallels with what happened then uh, under Thatcher and Major in the in in the early nineties with some of the well maybe not the policies necessarily of of now, but but the way in which they're not they're really not supporting the club. No, they're just doing it in a sneaky. They're just like Thatcher. She was in your face. She just mm -hmm. told you straight, "You're not doing this. You're not doing that." Blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Thatcher mm -hmm. was straight. Although I hated her, you got to respect her though because like she never done nothing undercover. She just told you straight. You're not doing this, you're not doing that, all right? But these people now, they do it sneaky. They'll close a club and then build a load of condos, you know what I mean? And make it, make it, mm. the people who do these things, make it viable for them to do that. Make yeah. it, um, what's the word? If you knock that club down, you build flats, you're going to earn much more than what you would in the clubs yeah. if the club was still there. Like we had, we had, I heard rumors they was going to shut down Ministry of Sound and build flats there. Mm. You know what I mean? Fabric. They tried to close down fabric because the guy died. A couple of people died in there. Yeah. They tried to close down fabric, but people are dying all over the place. So why are you closing the club just because it's not, just because a couple of people died? I mean, you know, rest in peace, those two who died. Yeah, of course. I heard of. But at the end of the day, for me, why are you closing the club? Yeah. No, the club that. never gave them the drugs. No, indeed. You know what I mean? So, you know. And in terms of your DJing, what what do you think it was that made you stand out as a DJ? Uh, I mean, you know, you've, you've you've mentioned what you felt that made uh, Groove stand out, and and all those other DJs. I used to cut mix a lot, right? I used I used to mix, but cut a lot as well. You know what I mean? I don't do it so much now. I'm more into just straight mixing and blending. You know what I mean? But back then, I used to cut a lot. I used to cut my mixes a lot, and I think that that um because one day I heard a. I heard um, Tony, what's his name again? Tony, big DJ from back in the day. Tony DeVitt? Nah, Tony, was it Danny Ramplin? I mean, that's no, not was... Tony, that's Danny. No, it was Danny Ramplin. <laughs> Tony something, Tony something. Okay. Anyway, this DJ, I was at Dungeon. It's, a lot, it's all a long time ago, mate. You know, yeah. I, 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 you, you're not alone, by the way, in the people we right. interview and not being able to remember stuff. Don't right. worry about that. And I heard him play. He played a. Uh, he played salsa house and and, and uh, break for love, right? And he was cutting between the two, but the way he done it, he done it really good. It was really fire. You know what I mean? And I said to myself, No, I'm going to try that. Not with them two tunes, but I'm going to try that with other music. You know what I mean? And then I liked what I was doing. I liked the results I was getting. So I incorporated that into my sets, you know what I mean? And I think that helped me get noticed a bit, you know what I mean? Because of the way I used to... Yeah, how would you describe your DJ style then? What, now or then? 
have they changed? They, you know, have you, have you evolved? A little bit because the music's changed. A little right. bit because the music's changed, you know what I mean? But back then I used to do a lot of cutting in my music, in my mixing. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I'm just more happy to just mix and blend, you know what I mean? Rather than cut, cut all is the, the time, is, you know is that because of the the change in style uh, of music from sort of um, jungle with the with the chopped up breaks to more sort of you know the more modern drum and bass, which is often more rolling? No, I think it's just me. I think it's just the okay. vibe I'm feeling. You know what I mean? I think it's just the vibe I'm feeling with the music now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, back then the music was different and the cutting worked better back then than it would now. In you know, I mean, you can still do that now, but with me, I find it easier because I'm more now more into on production on the production tip. So I'm more into just mixing and blending rather than cutting like I used to. You know. Okay. Well, we'll talk a bit more about your production shortly. Also, I want to talk to you about that scene split that you referenced. Don't go anywhere. Your name's not Dan. You're not coming. In. <laughs> Still here with Kenny Ken, delighted to say. Um, and Kenny, we, we, you referenced a little bit about that split in the music. It came in around, it came to the fore really in 1993. Um, what's was that? Was it in an inevitable split? Was there nothing really that could be done about it? Um, I suppose the promoters had a big part to play in that as well, okay. because um, and there's no disrespect to them because everyone's their own. You know what I mean? But the promoters of the early days just wanted good DJs to play whatever they was playing. You know what I mean? But then as the years went on, you 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 be able, you started getting specialised parties. Like, this party would only play hardcore. If you want to see a hardcore, you'd have to go to this party. This party would only play jungle. This party would only play house. You know what I mean? And the scene just it, it, it was it, it was is, it was is just that an, promoters or is that punters sort of driving well you know what comes first is it the punters I think, going I think, or the promoters I think it's, the, it's, it's a bit of both because right. you've got punters who who will most probably sit down and be chilling while a certain dj is playing one style right and then another dj oh we're waiting for so and so and then when he comes on there they'll be on it Ooh, yeah, yeah yeah you know what i mean and mm. you know so this was happening quite a lot, you know what I mean? And then you've got promoters, people starting to get into the promotion, promoting game, promoting game, who only liked hardcore or who only liked jungle, but who only liked house. And so they decided, right, get rid of all that other stuff. I just want my party to be this. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? And that's, that's how the split. So as a DJ now, I have to think, where am I going now then? And am I going to be able to play at these parties and or the whatever? But lucky for me, I was still playing when it was switching. I was still playing a little bit of hardcore, so I could play at some of these hardcore parties. Play at was, some that, of these... was, that, was that deliberate? What was that a deliberate thing? Do you think? Yeah, to sort of go. You know what? I'm gonna. I want to play at both because I like. Well, I like playing out for starters yeah, well, and also yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was deliberate. Yeah, because like I like playing. At, I like playing even today, like even a couple of weeks ago, I played a old school house set, 88, 89 set. So I like playing my music, you know what I mean? And like, you know, if it, if you said to me, Ken, I want you to come, I want you to play at my rave next week, but I want you to play just 88, 89 house, done, no problem. You know what I mean? I want you to come to my rave, Ken, and I want you to play 2018 Happy Hardcore. How does that sound? 
Nah. Hey, no, hey, no, hey, <laughs> I don't, by the way. A, I don't have an event, and B, I don't want you to play at it. Uh, I, so no I, no, I would, if I had an event, I would want you to play at it, but I wouldn't yeah, want you to play that. No disrespect uh, to Slip Matt Dougal and all Hicksie and all them boys there, right? You know, I love you all, but it's not my thing. So, why isn't it your thing? Because you did find your calling in, ju- because, in the jungle scene. Because it's too fast now, they, it's, it's too fast. I don't know. I just yeah, but for a period of the same, it was just happier. What was it about your personality or no, your background the, or whatever no. that, that made you go? You know what? It's I the really tempos. It's, it's the tempos, sound. Tom. Right, right. Tempos, right. Mm-hmm. Back then, I used to play tunes, and like I said, from say from the slowest being about one fifteen BPM to the fastest being about one forty BPM. Right. So, them times there, I played the happy stuff. This stuff, what they're playing now, is like 180 BPM. So can you imagine a... Mm-hmm. Sounds like Gabba. You know what I mean? And this, it's just not me, you know? Well, I mean? when the breakbeat went out, it, it wasn't you. Um, but it must have been an incredibly exciting period for music. I mean, you think, if you're playing that set the other day, 88, 89, how different that music is to 94, 95 Jungle. Yeah. Uh, and beyond, but, you know, that period... Actually, a huge change. Uh, absolutely yeah. massive. It must have been incredibly exciting and just sort of picking up tunes in all different fields and worlds and being like, they all work together. This can be a fantastic well, set. I brilliant. remember when I first heard uh, there was a tune, um, Groove Rider played a tune one time at um, a, a rave called Roast, right, which was instrumental in promoting jungle music as well. And he played this tune and I said to him, and this is when jungle was just starting to break through, and I said to him, Groove, I'm not really feeling that tune, you know. And then he played another one, right? Which had a bit of a reggae vibe to it. And I said, yeah, I'm feeling that. Mm, yeah. And then I started to work towards the jungle, you know what I mean? Right. You know? Okay. But that's how, that's how, that's how it started for me. It was the reggae thing was incorporated now into the... I mean, it was done before that because you get the reggae vibes in the house music as well, you know what I mean? But when it was done in the jungle, it sounded even better. Because you, know, you had like Rebel MC bringing his stuff through and all that, you know what I mean? So, you know, I well, started it, to get involved it, that way. Well, you went into the jungle and in your early days, you you had residency at Sunday Roast, you know, famous, You were, but you also played other legendary events like Telepathy, World Dance, uh, Helter Skelter, etc. Um, but you've said that AWOL was your favourite back then. AWOL um, was my favourite, favourite, favourite. What, was so, what was so special about it that you loved so much? One, I had a good relationship with all the other DJs. Right, it was me. At first, it was me, um, Mickey Finn, Trevor Fung, Doctor S. Gachet, and GQ. That's what I can remember. And then Darren J, Randall, and Darren J came in a little bit later. They came in up. I think Randall, Mickey bought, um, Mickey bought uh, Darren J in, and then. We was all telling them you have to get Randall down and you've got to get Randall down because Randall was some next level shit, you know what I mean? So we wanted him at the club, you know what I mean? And yeah. Randall came down. I mean, we all kept, came at about the same time, but some of us, like I was there from, from the beginning. Like Randall might have come a couple of months later or whatever, you know what I mean? And so on, you know what I mean? But we, Randall came down there, we got Randall down there. And um, for me, it was a. Uh, it was just the best club, best club in the world. Why? That, playing at that, that club there, right? 
Was it? Was it? What, what is it? Music, DJs, punters. It was the music. Atmosphere. It was the music. The vibe. Everything. Can you paint a picture? What was it like in there for people who didn't go? Right, there it was a dark and dingy, it, it was. It was a dark and dingy club, right? Um, it was difficult to mix in there because the monitors were up in the air. <laughs> so, if you just go there and play for the first time. You might have a hard time, you know what I mean? But we all got used to it, so it was coming like nothing to us because in the end we all got used to it, you know what I mean? But at first it can be a bit difficult to play in there, but the sound system in there was second to none, you know what I mean? And the people used to come from all over the world, I mean, all over the country to come to AWOL. Even some people from abroad used to come just to come to AWOL, right? I've seen people like Oasis in there. Um, uh, some top names used to come to this club. Really? Right? Which yeah. was, what, Liam and Noel, or just Noel or Liam? I think it was one of them, um, Liam. Right. Wow. I, I don't know which one, but it was only one of them, though. Amazing, yeah, yeah. He came with Goldie, right? Right. He came down there with Goldie. I seen, what's the other singer? Well, Goldie's bought, it was down to Goldie why some of these big people used to come down, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? But we had some big name people come down there and like, you know, just the vibe of the place and the, the hours it used to open for. Like, it opened 10 at night till 10 in the morning. You know what I mean? And the last Saturday of every month, it would go until one o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was just nonsense. And each DJ had a two-hour set. Right. So you could go there and you could take, I could take you on a journey, you know what yeah. I mean, for yeah. two hours. And then, you know, you've got Randall coming on for the next two hours. Then you've got Mickey Finn coming on for the next two hours. Then Dr. S. Gache, then Darren J or whatever, whatever order it was in. Okay. And plus, we used to bring guests in as well. So we'd have Groove Rider one week. And then another week, we would have DJ Ron, then we'd have Fabio, then all guests, different guests, you know what I mean? Jumping Jack Frost or whatever, you know what I mean? We'd have all have different mm. guests, you know what I mean? They'd say, what guests do you want? We'd say, well, we want Brian G down there this week. And then they'd get a slot, you know what I mean? So exciting. But it was also quite moody at times, wasn't it? At some of, uh, you know, Paradise Club, SW1. It could no, nah, no, nah, not AWOL. Uh -uh. Not AWOL. Not AWOL was never moody. Nah. No, and I was there every week, so I know. Like AWOL was never moody. Obviously, like any club, you get the odd scuffle in there. You know what I mean? But that's minor. That's minor shit. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, AWOL was a vibe week in, week out. That's why people came from Manchester, Scotland, Kent, all Liverpool, everywhere to come to AWOL. Like I was meeting people from from, from all over the place. Mm. Where are you from? I was chatting to one girl, where are you from? Thinking she's from a Londoner. Then I hear the accent. Shit, where are you from? Manchester, where are you going? From Manchester? Yeah. And then I'd end up driving all the way to Manchester. You know what I mean? That's how it was. It was wow. it was just vibes, man. It was just it was just electric. So so not moody and AWOL, but it did at that around that point get quite dark, the scene, didn't it? There was Yeah, it got dark crack, it got... and there was guns and you know. Yeah, yeah, guns. yeah. Um, how did yeah. you? What did you feel about that period? Where I mean, because you, 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 as you fully admit, you came from. All right, you did what you weren't into guns, and that was a yeah. big part of why you decided yeah. to not go down that route yeah. of crime. Yeah. But you have come from a world of criminality where that that sort of chatter is fairly sort of standard. How did you feel that this was coming into this scene that you got into, which was all peace, love, and unity, yeah. and all of a sudden you you found yourself five years, six years later in actually quite a dark scene where there's a lot. Well, what of you got? What you got to remember as well is that the 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 gun thing wasn't nothing to do with the DJs or the promoters. Sure. You know what I mean? Maybe one or two promoters was dabbling in that. You know what I mean? But 
for the most of it, the gun thing wasn't to do with the DJs or the MCs or anything like that. It was to do with certain people who used to come to that club and they were bad people, you know, and then they'd bump into other bad people who they didn't like or they had a score to settle with or whatever. And then they'd just do it in the club. You know what I mean? You know, and that's why Jungle kind of was getting a bad name because... How did you how did you feel about that? Because you've built this scene. You've been yeah, part, I, I wasn't part of building it. this scene. I wasn't happy with it, you know. I wasn't happy with it. I never actually... No one ever, ever troubled me. I've never had no trouble like that in the club. You know, none of these people... I know some of them, but none of them never used to trouble me. And, you know, and we used to talk and say, listen, man, you can't be doing that in the club, man. You know what I mean? And some would listen, some wouldn't. You know what I mean? And... <laughs> It's just one of them. It's just a phase the scene went through. You know what I mean? A lot of people getting shot, guns getting let off. Um, I remember one time I was up in um, I was up in Wolverhampton. I was playing in Wolverhampton, and me and my friend Nikki, we went up there. And as I was coming down, I finished my set, and I was coming down the stairs, and I needed to get out because I had another gig to go to, and uh, they wouldn't let me out. And I said, "Wait, wait, why won't you let me out?" Oh, the man them's got guns out there, and da 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 da. I said, listen, man, just let me out. They ain't going to shoot me. What are they going to shoot me for? You know what I mean? I ain't done nothing. You know what I mean? Like, that's how confident I felt because, like I said, you know, you know some of these people, you know what I mean? Right? I said, they ain't going to shoot me. And plus, I was well-liked as a DJ anyway. Right? And I swear to God, when they let, when they opened them doors, right, they opened them doors. But I wish I hadn't let them open them in the end. Nah. But anyway, they opened the doors for me because I was making up pure noise. They let me out. And as they let me out, the guys who was waiting to rush the doors actually made a room, made room for me so I could get out. <laughs> right? I swear to God, they made room for me so I could get out. So I would grab Nikki's hand and we just run through them and got to my car. I drove off, went to my next rave. The next day, Sunday, police was knocking on my door in Leighton. I had a house in Leighton. They was knocking on my door and they said to me, um, uh, yeah, Mr. Del so you was playing at... Um, uh, um, club, I forget the name of the club now, Quest or whatever it was in, in Wolverhampton. And uh, just as they let you out, there was just, there was shooting going on, right? And I said, really? I never heard no guns. I never heard no shooting. You know what I mean? They said, yeah, the, the, the security was supposed to have got shot and a dog got shot, right? So I said, no, nah, I don't know nothing about that. You know, I jumped in my car and I was off because I had to get to my next gig. I don't know what you're talking about kind of thing. You know what I mean? But I kind of did, but I didn't want to get involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to get involved in that shit. You know what I mean? By me, you, weren't, were, you weren't involved either. Basically, what they wanted me to do was make a statement. Right. Saying what I saw and everything. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't make that statement. They said to me, you got, can you just, all we want you to do is just make a statement. I saw Groove Riders heels. <laughs> right. he was, I said, he was no, I'm not making off. a statement. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not doing it. So they said to me, um, all right. If you don't make a statement, you're never going to play in Wolverhampton again. I said, fair enough. And I never played in Wolverhampton again after that. Is that right? No. Every, there's, how, how could the police have that power? I don't know, but I never played in Wolverhampton again. That's insane. And the one rave that I did get booked for in Wolverhampton, it got cancelled. I don't know whether that's because of me. <laughs> I will say, saying. my family is from Wolverhampton on my mum's side. And uh, as much as I love them all, you're not hugely missing out by being banned from Wolverhampton. That's yeah, what they banned me from Wolverhampton, that's yeah. Fucking, that's yeah. fucking Bonkers. That's insane. I don't think it was the London police. I think it was Wolverhampton police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was insane. London police that came to my house. Yeah, yeah. To get the statement. Well, they're all connected. I mean? They're all connected, aren't they? That's, that's the, that's the point just, of the police. Basically, wow. I said, no, I ain't making no statement because I don't want, if anyone's been arrested for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, these I are serious want, people. Yeah, I don't want them people to be going through their statements and then my name comes up. 
Yeah. And although it's an innocent statement, there could be something in there that might get them in more in trouble. Right. Without me realizing it. You know what I mean? So I'd rather just keep my mouth shut and don't say shit. You know what I mean? And that's that the way a, I would think uh, up anyway. Well, is that, yeah, is that a way that you've operated over the years? Yeah, that's uh, the way I've that, been brought up. Yeah. And that's yeah. why you've sort of. Yeah. Uh, is that is that part of your success as a as you know a, as how a it works? Mm. You know how it works. You know what I mean. Like, I mean, when I first came into DJing, obviously I was a bit rough around the edges. You know what I mean. Like you know, like pulling people up if they don't pay me and all that. You know what I mean. But at the end of the day, I realised that I can't go on like that because people won't employ you. You know what I mean. People won't work with you if they if you've got a reputation as being some kind of fucking lunatic or bad man or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean. <laughs> they won't work with you. So I had to yeah. knock all that on the head. Right. Sometimes there was times when I wanted to punch someone's head in, but you know, I just had to hold it down because you don't want people seeing that side of you on this music thing. Because music, this music scene is very, oh, how can I say, it? clicky, yeah. and you know, and it's it's the kind of scene where if you're known as a bad man who who will snap at anything, they won't book you. You won't get no work. People won't work with you. And it's not just in my music it's most probably the same in any other dj styles you yeah i mean, mean if you're if, if you're hard work then why would you want to work with someone who's exactly, hard work? I mean, that, exactly that, that's yeah. the point although that's if you are obviously a superstar dj then often but being who, you can but being who i am though some more time i never had to get going like that because right. because of who i was and I, and I, if i did come across a problem i could phone somebody who's a friend of who i've got the problem with and say, look, this is what's happening. Can you sort it out for me and talk to him? And, you know, no fight and violence or anything like that, yeah, but just yeah. talk to him and show him whatever, reason with him and sort out the problem. You know what here's I mean? A, here's a question. How do you think that you're viewed in the uh, in, in in that sort of group of 90, in that group of 90s rave scene among other people, promoters, DJs, et cetera, et cetera? Are you seen as a sort of wise head? Am I seen as that? Yeah. I don't know how other people think about me, but everyone I get on well with, I get on well with them. You know what I mean? I don't know what they think about me. Some could think that I'm a right dickhead. Some could think that I'm a bad <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't, that, yeah, you can't please all right. the people all the time, Ken. That's uh, but you know. But I got I, on well. I got on well with everybody, more or less everybody. You know what I mean? There right. wasn't really, there wasn't. I can't remember having any serious grievances with anybody. You know? What wow, I mean? that's remarkable. I mean, you know, to be to be at the top of your game for thirty yeah. years, thirty plus years in an in, a, in an industry which has got lots of interesting characters, and yeah, I mean, yeah. and I mean, hotheads, uh, and uh, and also lots of competitiveness, and yeah. you know, a lot of these people come from the streets to have done See, that. That, that, that didn't bother me though. The comp the competitiveness, the, the competitive side of it, it didn't bother me. I was never I was never really one to think, oh, no, oh I need to play better than him or. I'm better than him. I don't never think like that. You know what I mean? I've always been the kind of DJ just happy to play and get my work and play and play my music. You know what I mean? I don't care who people think is better than me or who they think I'm better than. I don't care about that. I just think, like, I'll give you an example. When Randall came to um, Paradise Club, Randall shook everybody up with the way he played his music and the way he's, the crowd reaction he got. You know what I mean? And we all wanted that as well. You know what I mean? So I thought, right. They said to me, right, we want you to do a back-to-back -back with Randall. So I agreed to it. And everyone was saying to me, oh, Kenny's going to slaughter you, mate. You're going to get slaughtered and this and that and da-da-da-da-da. And the first time I played with Randall, his style of mixing, I learned from that. Right. You know what I mean? I learned yeah. a lesson from that, from doing, but that's what I wanted to learn. Yeah. And the only way to learn to get better is to play with the best. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done the back-to-back -back with Randall. 
and obviously he done better than I did at that first time. You know, <laughs> I was I was on I was there. Do you, do you, but... would you, do you compare yourselves in back to backs? Do you do you sort of go? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm 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 bossing this one, and he's struggling a little bit here, or yeah, not yeah, on that case. But, you know, I'm not everybody... gonna lie. Of course you do. Of course <laughs> you do. I'm not gonna lie. Anyone, anyone who says they don't is lying. You know what right. I mean, right? But with me and Randall, because we've gone well. It wasn't a thing where I walked away with the ump thinking, oh, fuck, you know, he done the R. It wasn't like that. Yeah, yeah. We just, after after we was having a drink and everything together, smoking whatever together, you know what I mean? And joking about it. Mm. I read, you know, when you dropped that tune, boy, that hurt me, you know, shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Things like that. You know what I mean? Right? So anyway, cut a long story short, part two coming up now. Kenny came back to back with Randall. When I came off the decks, Randall, come up, Randall said to me, Ken, that's you this time. You know what I mean? And I felt good when he said that. You know what I mean? You know, because coming from someone like him, you know, that's just a good thing, man. When DJ says that to you, that's a good thing. Like, I've had yeah. compliments from a few top DJs, you know what I mean? And I've also given them out as well, you know what I mean? And like, you know, at the end of the day, for me, I don't care who you are. You play a good set and it gets me moving, mate. I'll tell you, I'll let you know. If I, if I get that chance, I'll let you know. Yeah, man, that was a good set. Man. Yeah, you okay. know what I mean? Um, so you mentioned about cliques, and, and and here on this podcast, we do love exploring the sort of often unexplored uh, sort of clandestine scene meetings. And one thing we've had a, quite a lot of uh, questions about from our listeners, and, and and I don't think has ever been properly explored, in my opinion, is the whole General Levy Jungle Committee thing that happened in around '94. Now, basically, if anyone doesn't know about this, it's that this group got together after General Levy had said he was running jungle and was on top of the pops, uh, and everyone said, "Well, we 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 want to we're going to you know you must boycott this tune." Incredible. That's what we understand happened. Uh, Rap says she was there uh, when we interviewed her, and if you haven't seen that interview, go and see it. She said she was said she was there. She ignored that, and in fact, deliberately played it all the time uh, in the face of it. Um, firstly, were you there? I think so. You think yeah, so? You because, can't remember. Yeah, because, yeah, because there, 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 there was a few meetings, to be honest with you. But I don't remember one ever. I mean, I know I knew that went on. Obviously, I knew that went on with General Levy. But I was I don't remember being at a meeting with specifically about banning General Levy. You know what I mean? I don't remember. I don't remember. I just think people, certain people, took that off their own, their own, um, their own back to do that. You know what I mean? I don't think it was a thing where. Because me personally, I never had nothing against General Levy. I never even met him when he met him. when he made Incredible. I never even met the guy. You know what I mean? So, you know, you know, I didn't even hear when he said that he runs Jungle. This was a rumor that was going around. You know what I mean? And I heard that rumor, and I heard that certain people were pissed about it. You know, and what did but you make I was of it? Ne I was never told, oh, not, don't play that tune again because I've always I always play that tune. What did you make of people being pissed off about this guy saying? Because you know the thing is, right? You're all artists. You're no, all what you got to remember, what you got to remember, right, is that when people are the co-founders or founders of a, of a certain thing, right, like new, like a certain music style, right, and they're going out of their way to promote this music style. And they're doing this and that with this music style and they're really promoting it and all the DJs that are helping and the promoters and everything and they're doing this thing. And then someone comes along with a one-hit wonder, what I call it, on Jungle. Credible is a big tune, but it was a one-hit wonder, right? And if that person who made that tune says that he runs Jungle, people are going to get pissed off. People, because other people are going to say, well, what about Groove Rider? What about Kenny Ken? What about Mickey Finn? What about so-and-so? What about uh, jumping Jack Frost? What about, you know what I mean? And, 
you know, so people, obviously people are going to, I can understand why people got pissed off about it. You know what I mean? You know? And how do you uh, feel about it sort of 27 years on? It seems that people have generally sort of kissed and made up. And I, and I do wonder whether, whether that's a sort of, well, just when that happened, I remember playing in France and General Levy was staying in the same hotel as me. All right. Now, at the time when his music was getting boycotted and we was in the same hotel and I bumped into him on the floor. I bumped into him on, on I think he was on the same floor as me and I must've been coming out of my room or going to my room, I can't remember, but we bumped into each other. But the vibe I got off of him was he didn't want to say nothing to me. So I didn't say nothing to him. Not even though, I don't even think we, we acknowledged each other. You know what I mean? It was just a thing. He looked at me, I looked at him and that was it. You know what I mean? And then I thought that was a, that was strange because now I know him, not know him well, but I know him. You know what I mean? He's an all right guy. You know what I mean? He seems all right. He seems he maybe just made a mistake back then to say, to say that. You know what I mean? And like he seems because even I done a remix for him the other day last year. You know what I mean? So you know I remixed one of his tunes last year. You know what I mean? So you know for me, yeah, there is a lot of there is a lot of clickiness in the scene and. You know, you, once one but, person... But the way that it's sort of... It's not really mentioned anymore, right? And I actually think that's not the, that's actually quite a smart move because there are lots of things that happen in all sorts of scenes. And it seems that you've sort of... Oh, you will get on now and you've moved on. And I know from hardcore that that doesn't happen quite so much. And mm. I wonder if that's a sort of... Um, uh, well... Defining factor or part of jungle and drum and bass, which has contributed towards its long-term success. Well, you got jungle, and you got drum and bass, right? And back in the day, people were trying to separate the two mm. because of the guns, the bad vibes, or whatever. You know, people were trying to people were trying to separate jungle and then. Like when it was at AWOL Paradise Club, it was jungle. When it went to Metalheads, it was drum and bass. You know what I mean? So, you know, I know people were trying to, I'm not going to mention no names, right? But people were trying to distance themselves from the word jungle, right? When, when you think about it, it's all jungle at the end of the day. It's just because there were certain things going on in the background of certain people having problems with other people or whatever they didn't want to associate their name with the word jungle mm. where me i've always been a junglist when drum right. and bass when jump when drum and bass despite, despite the fact it was going so yeah when it when it, it was going so dark and, and unpopular and people were now then banning it from places but you've always considered yourself a junglist why yeah because that's what i do that's me that's what i am i'm a junglist you know i i, I mean i called it drum and bass i called it jungle but it's all jungle at the end of the day you know, it's all jungle. Drum and bass is jungle. Jungle is drum and bass. You know what I mean? That's what when people try to try to tell me, oh, you're a jungle DJ. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love my drum and bass. I play drum and bass. I say, hold on a minute. It's the same. It's the same thing. Some people just won't have that. But for me, it's all the same. It's, if you play drum and bass, like Fabio said, if you play drum and bass nowadays, you're playing jungle. Simple. But back then, people tried to make it go like that. You know what I mean? And take out the ragger part of it. Take the ragger out of it and make it more 
use other elements, you know what I mean? And that was drum and bass. That's when you had that boom, 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 you know what I mean? That's what they call drum and bass, you know what I mean? And, you know, for me, I didn't care. I didn't business because I still get my work, still enjoy. I must admit, there's a few years where I lost my direction a little bit because of this split, you know what I mean? And the music that, that was getting sent to me, I wasn't really feeling. You know what I mean? So for a couple of years, I, like I was just playing stuff, old, oldish stuff, really, rather than playing up front, wait, proper up front. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jungle was still getting made, but not as much. The scene was getting flooded with, with this drum and bass. You know what I mean? And so for people like myself, you know, we just had to look harder for music. You know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you, listen, I'll tell you what, we're going to talk, uh, we'll talk next about that sort of the way that it, the drum and bass became this massive juggernaut uh, and, and how it did it and, and, and all the influence of Goldie and that sound and how it returned itself for uh, drum and bass very shortly. Uh, when next time up here on Raw, the 90s Ray podcast with Kenny Ken, the land, the legend. Well, that's it for another episode of Raw. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard of how much you, the Raw crew, enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now a team of five, putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages. We've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer, but that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we can really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of Raw merch merchandise that's rawuk.com we've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return so head to patreon.com forward slash raw uk pods that's patreon.com forward slash raw uk pods to see what's on offer you can also join our youtube membership which is the same or if you're not bothered about membership but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a peak donation head to our website and click the paypal link that website url one more time rawuk.com respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis oi oi